Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That? My name is Neil Delamere and my co-host is Dave Moore. And basically, if you haven't heard the previous podcast, one of us comes armed with facts, uh, explains some interesting things to the other one, and then brings an expert in the second half to back up their more wild claims. Now, this <laughs> week, it's Dave's turn. Dave? Yeah, hi. Uh, it is a wild claim uh, that I'm bringing you this week. I am going to tell you why. The movie Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon, give me some of your thoughts. No, go find your own. Come on, give me some of your thoughts. No, I'm freaking starved. I didn't get to eat anything today. Gross. Freaking idiot. Yes. Remember that? The movie Napoleon Dynamite broke Netflix. Not in a financial sense, just broke the computer. It made Netflix offer a million dollars to somebody who could fix the problem it caused. Oh, no way. Not somebody, anybody, you, me, whoever. It caused a problem and Netflix went, whoa, we need to offer people a million dollars to anyone who can solve this. And we're going to do a deep dive on why this movie is actually so important for the world we live in today when it came out so many years ago. And we had no idea at the time it was going to push us in the direction we're going to go in. Can I ask one kind of brief question? You're not really allowed in part one, but go on. Okay, okay. Well, give me a limited answer. Right. Um, is it kind of a tech techie thing? That's all I'm asking. And the reason I'm asking that is because if there was a chance that I could have maintained my degree and earned a million dollars, the second <laughs> half of the show would no. be bittersweet. It kind of is a little bit techie. Oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. How good were you with maths and statistics? Uh, I wasn't great, but I knew some people who were brilliant. Right. Well, you're probably safe then. But yeah, okay, but okay. in the second half, we're going to speak to a Hollywood casting agent. Her name is Ali Horn. She's absolutely brilliant. She's going to break it down for us as to why now, in this day and age, a movie that came out so long ago has had a, a huge effect on how we consume media, particularly Hollywood media today. It's, it's a great story, but we'll get to that. Well, talking of media, if you want us to cover something, you can get in touch. We're at Why Would You Tell Me That on Instagram or also on Twitter as well. I'm at Neil Delamere Comedy on Instagram and he's at Dave Today FM. I always forget at Dave Today FM. I don't know why. Instagram. It's my name and my radio station. It literally <laughs> couldn't be easier. I know, I know but I, I, I think that at some point they're going to fire you. Yeah, oh, there's no doubt. There's, <laughs> there's absolutely no doubt. 
that's just at least there's part of my subconscious that, that goes it can't continue this well forever <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm i'm not prepared to commit to it yeah what we are definitely committed to however is being proudly part of the acast creator network yes and, uh, thanks to the lads on acast for supporting us and making this podcast happen and um, okay i want to bring you on a little bit of a journey in part okay. one today neil okay yeah. i'm gonna ask you some questions along the way i want to learn a little bit about you like for example i don't know exactly how you research your topics for why would you tell me that all i have really is a checkered internet search history maybe you use class a drugs to get into the mind state that gets you you know <laughs> thinking about these these different ideas we could bring to the podcast table i don't know how you do it i'm not suggesting you do but i'm saying i don't know whether you do or not okay but i want to bring you down a little road so we're going to talk in part one about movie set disasters and there are many there's, look, there's famous ones like Steven Spielberg on the set of Jaws. The mechanical shark didn't work. One of the actors was a notorious drunk. He couldn't get his lines out. They missed days of filming. There's loads of those stories. And there's George Lucas and Star Wars and all that, whatever. But another Hollywood titan, uh, all the puns intended, is James Cameron. Okay? Right, yes. And James Cameron is known as a tyrannical director. He likes things done his way, and he's not prepared to compromise. And if there's any back chat, it's like being back in school in the 60s you're gonna get in trouble okay okay so kate winslet has said since even though she was in titanic small indie movie you may not have heard of it uh, <laughs> she was in this movie called titanic and she said she genuinely feared that she might drown in the water because when he shot the abyss which is another james cameron movie ed harris who stars in that movie he actually nearly drowned and this is all because of the way james cameron likes his films to be made like so he wasn't accepting near drownings yeah <laughs> It's a key thing for him. But he just wasn't accepting, you know, a certain way of doing it and letting safety get in the way of getting the perfect take or whatever it was. Okay. Um, and he, and Kate said she feared for that. But look, I have a theory then. Because for years we've all speculated as to why her character Rose didn't let Leo's character Jack onto the piece of wood, the door that she had. It's clearly big enough to have the two of them. I think she knew that absolutely Jack could fit on it. But she was saying to herself, if James Cameron's going to leave me out in the Atlantic for a while, I want all the space I can get. And I'm not risking that he might topple me over and get, I'm just not doing it. This is why Rose never let Jack on. This isn't to do with the story. This is to do with kind of survival. And, <laughs> and she's just looking at Cameron going, yeah. he would have mentioned if Jack was to be on the door. So I'm going to assume no door for Jack. He could have just held on to the door as well. Anything. Like he, well, I suppose uh, in the movie, I think he kind of slips into unconsciousness due to hypothermia yeah. and things. And maybe, but I mean, he was wearing braces. Couldn't she have wrapped the braces around the doorknob? There were so many options for her. Like. Actually, actually, if he was wearing braces, he could have leaned off the front of it and she could have held on to the braces, recreating the earlier scene. He could have been like like a like a dragon on the front of a Viking ship. There are many ways that this could have been done. All I'm saying is the world's foremost director wasn't creative enough. That's all well, I'm saying. You can tell him that because he ain't going to like that criticism. I can tell you that much. <laughs> okay. And actually what happened, this is absolutely incredible. On one long shoot, now this wasn't a shoot with Kate and uh, Leo, so they weren't there, but on one really, really long shoot, like weeks on end, it was it was the last day of that particular shoot. And the cast and crew were there, obviously like hundreds of cast and hundreds of crew and James Cameron and Bill Paxton, who of course played, it was in the modern day part, the kind of the bit that was cutting back to the Titanic. He was in the modern day, he was there as well. And they had a kind of a lunch to say, you know, okay, that's a wrap. Everybody grab lunch and then we'll 
derig and get out of here and Cameron will get his private jet to wherever and blah, 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 whatever it was. So they went in to have lunch and lots of people had this bit of food and that bit of food. And somebody came out and said, the lobster chowder is amazing. And obviously they were shooting on the Atlantic coast, wherever it was, they were shooting this thing. And so it was a kind of a, it's a local delicacy. So everybody went in for the lobster chowder. It was amazing. So amazing, in fact, that people went back for seconds. And a little bit after lunch, maybe 15, 20 minutes later, people started to feel a little bit weird. Right. And then a lot weird. Okay. And then some people got sick and some people had hallucinations. And in very severe food poisoning cases, hallucinations can be a thing. Like you can get that sick and have that much of a temperature and whatever your body reacts. You know, that can happen. Some people ended up in A&E. And then some people were just hysterically laughing and other people were hysterically crying. Okay. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but food poisoning tends to not do this. Even perhaps some dodgy lobster wouldn't really do this. So they investigated. They were like, what is happening here? There's, There's something else going on. Yeah. It turns out, and as yet unnamed and probably for his own good or her own good, unnamed chef spiked the lobster chowder. Now, do you want to have a guess at what they spiked it with? Well, given that you asked me at the start, do I take hallucinogenic (laughs) drugs? And you said that people are hallucinating, like mushrooms or something. No. What? Angel dust. Angel dust? Yeah, I mean, laced with angel dust. Which, by the way, we should point out, dramatically mm. improved the flavour. So, <laughs> we we discussed like you don't like mushrooms so no. if you had to be laced you'd prefer pcp oh, angel dust so. yes, rather than this. okay the first thing that comes to my head is we don't know who it is no it still is as yet kind of an un uh unprosecuted crime that is a hundred percent a hundred percent where the idea for avatar came from that is a hundred percent right let's well, do a film about the european colonization of america right like, like as a metaphor Okay, James, but everybody's blue and they got weird noses. Okay, somebody write that out. <laughs> yeah, so PCP, when you say PCP, you mean Angelus. Like they weren't trying to buy a car. They weren't looking for a, a minimum guaranteed value for the, the shipwreck of the Titanic. No, no, this is definitely Angel Dust. And actually, James Cameron wouldn't have come up with the idea of Avatar in this particular situation because okay. he actually rushed to his room and made himself sick. Because when oh. he saw everybody else, and he was one of the few people who avoided an A and E visit, which loads of them had to do. Bill Paxton was among them, and they got re- like they genuinely got really sick. Now, look, food poisoning is one thing, but lacing food with Class A drugs has you know effects on people that is longer than your traditional kind of twenty four hour bout of gastroenteritis. Like it's weird. I don't know where you heard of the name Angelus first. Um, and this could be a difference between our particular roots, but okay. angel dust used to always, you'd hear it on the news, it used to be given to cattle illegally because it was... Um, it, it, it made them more delicious, mu- obviously. You know, it made them really, really, <laughs> really delicious. delicious. made them taste like lobster chowder, yeah. <laughs> but I always thought, like, I, when I came across it then afterwards as PCP, mm. you just think, how come... It didn't have that effect on cows. Like you never saw cattle. How do we? Off how do we know? How do you like, know? Okay, you never drive by a field and you just see a like a cow dressed as a matador shouting at a bull going, "Come on, Derek, you know you like it rough." <laughs> they never hallucinate, dude. I no, they do. I'm not sure we know. I mean, think about what cows do. They're grazing animals. They stand there all day with their heads down, and they just chew and chew and chew and chew and there's there are 1800 stomachs we should probably do an episode now because there's not just that many but they just get to work and that's that's what they do so 
if you think about it, maybe when a cow lifts up its head and just glances yeah. around for a while, all the other cows are going, oh my God, Derek's on PCP because look what he's doing. <laughs> maybe that's crazy behavior for a cow. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know. No, I disagree don't. with you in terms of the hallucinogenic effects of if you get really bad food poisoning. Oh, yeah. Because what happens is you you um, get so dehydrated or you can get a fever. I don't know. Have you ever been? Like, I have been that sick. I went to Thailand many years ago with uh, Greg Davis and mm-hmm. Rod Gilbert, and we did gigs all around. I must have told you this before. We did a gig in Manila, and um, when we did the gig in Manila, on the on the front, of those, there was a terrorist group, and they were trying to take over um, Moro Island, I think it's called. Right. And, it's the, and it's, it's called the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. So on the front of all the newspapers was MILF plans new attack, and we were like... That's quite an interesting. Let's not to, let's not deter them immediately. You say yeah, to the let's terrorists. Just investigate this a bit let, more. Let them in. But we went. I went to Thailand with the lads as well, and uh, I have never been more sick in my entire life. Wow! I ate something, and to the extent that I was so dehydrated, I was on the loo. Not to get too graphic, but mm-hmm. you know when you're puking and you're, uh, it's all coming out everywhere, and. Yeah. It was one of these Japanese toilets. It was this really posh kind of toilet and a beady and had this like voice in it. But it had been, <laughs> it had been built for people who eat healthy diets, I think. Right, it's like right. rice and fish. It had, it, had, it had never encountered the mainly potato and rasher based diet of the average Irish male. Like it couldn't cope with a semi digested Yorkie hurtling towards it at the speed of sound. And I got so sick, like everything I ever ate came out food drink marbles i ate as a child just like <laughs> stickers of ray houghton from the 1990 world cup crayons play-doh and i was so sick did you ever get so sick that you're bargaining with your own anus or <laughs> 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 you're going please i'll give you anything the soft toilet tissue i'm just worried i'm worried that your anus may have talked back to you and told <laughs> you what i wanted yeah, please I, I mean i use the andrex puppy just I think if you just stop please the puppy itself i'm sure you're, i'm sure your arse would love you for that <laughs> it was so horrendous uh. i i had this fever dream that i was talking to the toilet because <laughs> the toilet we'll was doing back. like but the toilet had a setting where it was like preparing nozzles or whatever yeah and i was like i'm so sorry about this but there's not much i could do <laughs> I and it was that. like i could have been a microwave it was horrendous <laughs> it was horrendous oh, and they brought god. me into the hospital and they gave me a drip and i was fine Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you're here and you've lived to tell the tale. But that pales in comparison to another movie set. Have you ever heard of a man called Noel Marshall? It rings a bell, but no, he sounds like he sells shoes in a small Midlands town. He does. He doesn't sound like a Hollywood director, but he is a Hollywood director. Not only is he a Hollywood director, but he's also Melanie Griffith's dad. No way. Yeah. And Noel Marshall made a movie called Roar. And I know you've never heard of it because it is so bad. And let me tell you about the set, which is even worse. So Noel Marshall wrote, produced, directed, and starred in a movie called Roar. Uh, He began shooting it in 1970. Uh, It was a movie about a wildlife conservationist whose family comes to visit his wildlife park. So imagine the Tiger King is having his kids and his missus over who've never visited his lair before, okay? Okay, (laughs) lair. And I suppose in 2022, although unlike the Tiger King, I suppose in modern day world in Hollywood, we'd shoot with CGI tigers and CGI lions. Yeah. This was 1970. So what they did was he went, where can I get 100, count them, live, hungry, squabbling 
big cats. <laughs> yeah. Because if you put a hundred big cats in the same place, they're yeah. not going to get on very well. No, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, there will be that fraternal. You know, and and their disagreements may be slightly more zealous than, for example, a hundred hamsters. You know. I'm sure it could nip. I'm sure they could be, you know, a little bit tyrannical. Uh, but this man decided he would put 100 live big cats in a gaming reserve or whatever it was and then put a movie crew in there. How do you train that many cats? Yeah, you don't because no, you didn't. They were actually just live wild animals. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, I don't know how this would go down in your house, Neil, but if you went home to your wife and child, your wife being Tippy Hedron, actress and yes. child Melanie Griffith also soon to be actress and said hey guys want to star in my movie and they go sure husband dad sounds great what's the movie uh, it's where you go into a wildlife park with a hundred live tigers and lions and they go sure dad let's do that that's who he cast in this movie Tippy Hedrum scared of birds well, how, how, how come she was okay with lions and tigers I'm not sure she was okay with this because let me tell you what happened he began shooting in 1970. Yeah. It came out in 1981. It took okay. 11 years to make this movie. It cost $17 million, which I know today doesn't sound like much, but to put that in perspective, in today's money, that's $130 million. And it, it took 11 years to come out. Nothing. That is nothing compared to the injuries that people faced. Okay. <laughs> Tippy had her throat bitten open by a lion. Oh, God. Melanie had a face injury that required 50 stitches. And the director of photography, and I'm shuddering even to say this sentence, had his scalp torn off by a lion requiring 200 stitches. Surely when one of the first things happen, like nowadays, that would mm. shut down production. Mm. There were 70 cast and crew, yeah. and almost every single one of them was injured by a big cat during the 11 years it took to shoot this movie. How in the name of God were they allowed to do that? I suppose it was the 70s. Do you know, <laughs> I don't do really you, know. Do you know when people go, oh, you're just a snowflake, and you think, yeah, that's not a bad thing necessarily. <laughs> so in some circumstances, it's good that we think that maybe animal cruelty and human safety, these two things come into play. Maybe we shouldn't mess with them. I can't begin to understand how they continue to do that, but also how I've never heard of that before. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Yeah. When the movie came out in 1981, having suffered through 11 years of hell, of torture, and finally, the man who sounds like he sells shoes, Noel Marshall, gets his movie out into cinemas. Flop. Nobody watched it. And the reason why they watched it, nobody watched it is because he pitched it as a family movie. <laughs> After who? The Manson family. Well, there was like, he thought it was literally like, you know, Bigfoot and the Hendersons, you know, except <laughs> instead of a guy, a big tall guy in a suit, it was actually a hundred live cats. He could sell it now. If he sold it now as Tiger King from the Tiger's perspective, the untold story, Lion and Tiger's Revenge. If he did it that way, I think people would go on board. Possibly. Why did it flop? Is it because of that? Or would the Lions not do the press? They're notoriously like... <laughs> <laughs> they just all lined up on a red carpet, ripping the face off each other. No, honestly, it was it was pitched as a family movie, released in the cinemas. Families left the cinema while the movie was on in tears because the kids were so afraid, and they were so afraid because the actors' portrayals were so real because they were all utterly terrified. 
Yeah, hold on. There's no portrayal in if you're physically being attacked by a lion. <laughs> what, you, what I want you to do is pretend you're being attacked by a lion and we're going to get that effect by having you attacked by a lion. Honestly, when you're finished listening to this episode, or even pause it now and go, just look up a scene from the movie Roar out in 1981. Cats got a little excited. Why did you bring us here? We're just going to die. Roar. You know what your friends are probably doing to our family right now? They are eating. Shut up. Roar. There are scenes where they're, Melody Griffith and her family, they're on boats and they're just in a little river. And there are lions and tigers prowling the banks of the river. In fact, there's one scene where a boat is constantly being trying, the guy's trying to row and a lion just keeps putting his paw into the boat and pulling it back to, towards him. Then he lets go, the guy rows a bit, he puts his paw back into the boat and pulls it back. And behind him, two tigers are absolutely killing each other in the water. Like it's, it is so insane. How they thought this was a kid's movie. I have no idea. Okay, so that's the 1970s. Okay, I figured out. Everybody who ever saw that went, oh my God, it's horrific. But somewhere, somewhere in South England, a young Daniel Day-Lewis saw that and went, <laughs> look at their commitment. Someday, I will win Oscars by being that committed. He probably did. I mean, I, I listen to that and I think that's kind of ridiculous. Why would anybody put themselves in that position? But mm. do you remember we had to do something for... Uh, the radio station that we both used to work on uh, for charity, Face Your Fears. Oh, Dare to Care. Yes. To yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So one of the things I did for that is I went to a reptile park because I hate all that stuff. And I said, I'll hold a snake and I'll hold a, a spider. I'll go there, not reptile. And it wasn't that impressive. And I said to the keeper, is there anything else we can do? And he went, oh, you can feed the alligator if you want. Whoa. And I went, okay. Now, I didn't, I kind of thought there'd be some sort of chicken wire or perspex mm, or something. Mm. Got, got into the enclosure. Uh, and then there was an alligator, like a massive alligator, right, like two feet from me. Just there. And, and as soon as I got in, she starts going. Oh, you like don't this. want an animal like that making a noise. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. And I said, what, what, what's wrong with her? And he goes, zookeeper goes, it's okay. It's just, she probably doesn't like your standing on her nest. <laughs> and I was like, well, you could have told me that. And I probably shouldn't be wearing this Lacoste t-shirt either. <laughs> and uh, he genuinely said, it could be worse. I'm wearing Crocs. And he was, which he thought was hilarious. <laughs> And he goes, don't worry, we'll call the, the mail over. Now, at this oh. point, I didn't know that there was another, that there was another one in the enclosure. Right. And I, and I said, well, I can't see him. And he said, don't worry, he can see you. And I went, but yeah, but where is he? And he goes, well, see if you can spot him. I was like, I don't want to play Where's Wally with a crocodile. And he says, it's an alligator. And I was like, Pepsi Coke. That's not really the point of this point of the conversation. And there's this huge alligator. Like, he was massive. Right. And uh, I said, what's to stop him from eating us? And he goes, well, he associates us with food, not as food. As food, yeah. I was like, yeah, but what if he doesn't know his prepositions? What if we get the one remedial alligator who's got, is it is food or as food or by food or with food? And then just rips your face off. <laughs> or he goes, guy in the Crocs with food. New guy, don't know. Presumably, he's the with the guy with food. He must be the food. He's being, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he was trying to explain it in terms of it's a vending machine. I'm a, he goes, you're a vending machine. Like, you know. I no, you you're the Mars bar in vending machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what he said. You're, yeah, you're like, you're just giving him food. So you're yeah. not, you're not food. Under threat. Yeah, but it, if you went to a vending machine and you realized that the vending machine was made out of a Mars bar. <laughs> your man was saying he could probably only eat one of us. That's what he genuinely said. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried to feed an alligator while trying to look thinner than the, the zookeeper. I was standing, I tried to maintain a thigh gap 
are thrown like chickens. So this... Did you hear the jaw snap? I mean, was it impressive? Like, ah, yeah, no, it was very, very, very impressive. But they're terrifying things. I've seen. I'll tell you what. I'll post a picture of, of you and close, the alligator. How close I was to this this thing. Now that isn't just a picture of your Lacoste top. I mean, I hope it's a real <laughs> alligator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Okay, you have whetted my appetite for yes. all things bizarre, movie related, and cine related. Well, imagine then that anything I have told you now is going to pale in comparison to how important the movie Napoleon Dynamite is to how we consume media now. We're going to dive into this deep dive about the importance of this weird, quirky, indie movie about middle America and one of the best characters I think ever created Napoleon Dynamite, but lots of people don't even like Napoleon. That's part of it as well. We'll get into all that with Ali Horn, a casting agent from Hollywood, all about Napoleon Dynamite in a sec on Why Would You Tell Me That? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? And we're joined now by Ali Horn from AHC Casting in Hollywood, Los Angeles. We're very excited to have you, Ali. Hi. Hi. It was, speaking as a casting director, that was a horrible American accent. So already oh, yeah. we're off to a script. I think I should have probably done my Southern accent. That might have paid off a little better. I don't know. Could you cast me if I was in Louisiana? No comment. <laughs> Sorry, are we actually doing a podcast here, or have I just accidentally stepped into some sort of audition that Dave, you didn't inform me about? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, exactly you, didn't know you guys are both auditioning right now, and so far, I don't know. I don't. I think it's a no for me, dog. 
so far. <laughs> well, that's on me. Neil hasn't even begun yet. This, yeah. this whole conversation is his audition. So let's see how we go. Um, Ali, we're here today because we want to talk about Napoleon Dynamite, which is, look, it's one of my favorite movies. It's a movie that I think most people know of. They know the Vote for Pedro t-shirt. Vote for Pedro. Vote for Pedro. Vote for Pedro. Vote for Pedro. Vote for, Vote for Pedro. You know, they may know things about it, but I don't think many people realize the importance of Napoleon Dynamite back when it came out to the way we consume media today and the effect it had particularly on a small little startup at the time called Netflix. Yeah, I mean, it's a super interesting story. So, okay, Napoleon Dynamite was released in like 2004. Mm. And in 2009, Netflix, when they were you know, when they're moving from like you send out and rent DVDs, get them back in the mail to the streaming platform. I'm sorry, that's really important. I think, sorry, I'll just interrupt really early on, but I don't think many people, certainly in Ireland, I don't think know because Netflix was, was a US company and it's only become international since it was streaming. But up until that point, Netflix was, as you said, it was a mail-in DVD rental service, like a, yeah. a kind of a weird enough scenario. So weird to think back that that was like, and then that was such a like, oh my God, we're so fancy now because you used to go to the, you know, blockbuster video type stores. But yeah, you would essentially, you'd like, I think it was like a list. And I want to say that it was even like we were doing this on pen and paper. Like you're just like checking off what you wanted and you'd send it in and then you'd get these DVDs in the mail and you couldn't make another order until you sent back the DVDs. So they really, they really had you there. But yeah, that was how everybody, we thought it was so much more convenient than going to the video store. Really. Okay. So that Netflix in 2009 was migrating to uh, some kind of an online scenario. Uh, and so why was Napoleon Dynamite important at that point? So it was important to Netflix because what Netflix really started and pioneered was an algorithm that would help decide, like, if you liked this, then you would like this. And so they were really at the forefront of creating that. But there were some problems in their system. So they actually made a contest where they were like, we will give, it could be amateurs, it could be a team of people, we'll give you a million bucks if you can improve our algorithm by 10%. 10% improvement. And nerd off. Just a total, total, like, if you can figure this out, we'll give you a million bucks. Neil is getting very excited about this. He has a computer <laughs> science degree. He could have improved that algorithm. So have I got this right in that you, like, you like a Kirk Douglas film, they give you a Burt Lancaster film. It's like an old school, maybe a Western. You like this Western, you like that Western. But does Napoleon Dynamite break this because... It's unlike other uh, other films. Yes, it broke it because no one could figure out why people loved Napoleon Dynamite or why people hated it. Like there was no <laughs> rhyme or reason. Looking back, it does kind of make sense because it was sort of a different film. It's a genre you can't really like it's sort of a romantic comedy. It is a hero story like but whether you loved it or hated it and this is what was happening, people were either giving it like no stars or half a star or like 10 stars or they loved it. But there was no, like if you were an action adventure person, you might've loved it or you might've hated it. So the algorithm, it like basically broke these algorithms because Napoleon Dynamite proved that we're all human beings. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose if you think about now and the way we consume media now, not just Netflix, but everything is based on an algorithm. So, you know, the, the ads you see at the start of a YouTube video are based on the ads that you've liked before or the things that it's 
heard you say or the things that you've searched for or whatever. Same thing on YouTube in terms of how the YouTubers, the actual content creators, they need to feed into the algorithm to get their videos on your, because everyone's homepage is different on YouTube. Everyone's homepage is different on Instagram. Everyone's homepage is different on TikTok. And to serve you the right content, the, the creators need to feed into that algorithm. So it has become probably the most important tool in modern day media consumption. But at the time, this was the beginning of it. And Napoleon Dynamite broke it out the gate. And one of the interesting things, too, of why this was the first time that they realized that there was a flaw in these algorithms is because one of the most important pieces of data that they were looking at was like, if you liked Die Hard 1 and then you watched Die Hard 2, it would maybe stand a reason that you'd want Die Hard 3. But then they realized like, well, what if Die Hard 3 was crap? And then it's not a good movie. So that's when the rating system became a really big part of being built into this algorithm. And that's where Napoleon Dynamite, it screwed everything up. Because okay. they realized that how much you like to film is actually more indicative of what you're going to watch again than just that you saw the other thing before. So that's what yeah. they were trying to build this new model on. But even if you look at Netflix now, uh, you can see how much more specific the categorizations of films are. So it used to st- it used to start it used to say crime, and then it used to say British films, and now it's like crime, serial killers where he used a hammer, and um, <laughs> films with chickens in the cast, and uh, books based on serials with big fonts. Wow, it's- Neil's Netflix <laughs> choices are really weird. That's all Amazon Prime. I think it's something that it's like, you got to be careful who looks at your Netflix thing because somebody could come on my house and be like, wait a minute, cults and and baking shows? What the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're 100% low cars at this. Like, if I think back to that movie, in case anyone's listening has never even seen it or heard of it, it's not like very, and Neil puts his hand up. <laughs> I mean, well, very you simply, you've got to watch Napoleon Dynamite. No, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that it's a small French man who takes over mainland Europe using newly discovered TNT. <laughs> Actually, that might be an interesting concept for a movie. We should pitch that to Ali at this podcast. Okay. Um, just, just not with those in it, obviously. Well, no, obviously things. not. We, we can be the producers, but we're never, definitely not going to be in this one. No, but Napoleon Dynamite is a story about a high school kid in, the, in middle America. Uh, I'm going to say Idaho, but I could be wrong with that. My states aren't great, but I think it's Idaho. But basically, it's rural middle America. And this kid is going through the things that kids go through in high school. He wants to find love. Uh, he's a best friend called Pedro. And pretty much, you know, nobody likes him. He's just a bit of a weird dude. And the movie is just, it's stylistically, it looks like, in, if I can say this, inverted commas, a weird movie. But the story is completely classic hero story. Like, it's actually, it's very similar to movies like Rocky, like where there's a character who goes on a journey and in the end has his triumphant moment and, you know, beats Apollo Creed. And for Napoleon's case, it does a crazy dance and gets the girl and everything works out. But like, but it looked weird. And I think, Ali, that might be the reason why so many people either gave it five stars or no stars was because it was a classic movie story wrapped in a weird aesthetic as opposed to a weird movie and a weird aesthetic, which I think people would either, you know, they would, they would know what they liked about that. And the, Netflix would go, oh yeah, sure, you like Wes Anderson movies, you like the other Wes Anderson movies. Whereas I think in this situation they went, this is like straight up Hollywood hero story, except it looks like a really weird indie movie. And I, that's one of the reasons I love it. Yes. And I would say 
that the other thing that it does really speak to, at least did to me, the time period and the specificity with the Midwest in the 80s, there are certain things that you see, like the eight tracks, the moon boots that he's wearing. Mm. There are such tiny little art directed things that this is where, too, I think that if you grew up in most of America and went to high school at a very specific time, you could be a very different person and watch, you know, now like your real life in New York or Los Angeles or whatever, and then watch it and you're like, oh my God, I totally (laughs) used to doodle that exact thing on my, you know, drugstore cardboard covered paper notebook. Like there's so many things that are so specific and you just, you just fall in love with it because it brings you right back to that time. Do you think there's any advantage in somebody deliberately now making a film that would uh, defy conventions and defy genres? I think everybody's trying to do that. I mean, listen, I live in Hollywood and all people can come up with is like, let's make the second one. Let's do the whatever. Like, (laughs) you know, everyone's trying to find a new idea. But what I think is interesting about this when you really do a deep dive in analyzing it is it's like Dave was saying, it's really just taking a very classic formula of a hero's journey mixed with a little bit of a romance and putting it into this weirdly specific moment in time and place on earth. And it makes it a completely different movie, even though to your point, Dave, if you took the plot points from Rocky and Napoleon Dynamite, I bet you page per page. They're about the same. <laughs> wow. That was a good good guess by me, so yeah. The Mandalorian is a Western, but it's it's in space. It's it is. Same, it's yeah. the same sort of thing. Yeah. Napoleon Dynamite feels like a series of bits that you can remember and piece together. Like even though, as you said, 2004 came out, like I can still remember him walking over to the fence where there's a llama. Again, we're going to describe something. Neil's going to be like, what is this? Movie? No, I've seen the clips. I'm familiar with the film. Yeah, so he walks over to feed his pet llama. Her name is Tina. And he throws it and he goes, Tina, come get some ham. Tina, come get some ham is like is in my vocabulary all of the time. Like there's so many quotes from it. It, 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 it worked on so many levels. But like you said, Ali, it's just it was wrapped in a different bow. Did anybody win the prize? Yes. It was a a team, did win the prize, but then they had the contest again the following year and then had to disband it because of privacy issues, which again, Netflix was smart. (laughs) Like maybe we shouldn't go too deep into figuring out, getting into people's heads and then putting that on our platform. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, because obviously most of the rest of the big tech companies have felt exactly the opposite and gone, hey, let's go in and predict everything you're going to (laughs) do. A competition does seem to be a way that you can get people to work for you for almost free. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? you go it's a million dollars if you can improve this by 10% and people send you stuff in and they've improved by 9% you go ha ha sucker 9% you get nothing I wonder Ali working in Hollywood like you do I mean like Napoleon Dynamite because of the era that we lived in then it was already a low budget indie movie it wasn't it didn't have the backing of a huge studio and it became a cult classic and I suppose a lot of movies do that but Neil asked an interesting question there but I wonder in, in another way Like, is there any chance we'll ever get another Napoleon Dynamite in the sense that if you think about it, movie companies now just go, okay, if this movie doesn't have Ryan Reynolds or The Rock or it isn't in the Marvel universe, we're not going to put money into it. You know, is there a chance that another movie like this will be made where, sure, it might be look a bit weird, but it's a classic story that people love to consume? I think 
the answer to that is always yes, because you just never know. And somebody, you know, we have this conversation all the time in my office and with clients. It's like we become such sophisticated viewers of content. But at the end of the day, if you connect with something on a visceral level, if it makes you laugh, it makes you, that's why things go viral. It doesn't matter how lo-fi the production value is or how large the production value is. You can watch something and be like, that didn't move me at all. And they spent, you know, $300 million on it. Or <laughs> some guy filmed something in his basement. That sounds weird. But you know what I mean? You might be like, I, that was hilarious. I get stuff like that. I get submissions from actors all the time, like kind of trying to break in or whatever. And actors are like, well, you know, is that a good way to approach a casting director? I'm like, if the content is good, then mm. yeah. But don't send them something just because you have content because 90% of the shit I get is shit. So but everyone's like, <laughs> and so that's where I think like people, and that's where like, if you look at the cast members of SNL right now, like they're picking these people from content they've created on the internet. It's not yeah. like the audition process because now you can find anybody anywhere. And if they're doing something interesting, people are going to want to watch it. Did mm. you like... Uh, Napoleon Dynamite. It sounds like you loved it because of his attention to detail in the Midwest specifically, but did you like it? When I saw it, I was like, this is fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) And now I've probably seen it like five times, which I think is true of most cult classics. That's why they're a cult classic, because the first time you see it, you're like, what the fuck is this? Because there hasn't really been anything like it. So yeah, when I first saw it, I'm like, I don't know. Do I hate this? Do I like it? And then you watch it five more times. You were the problem. You were the problem with the algorithm. Yeah. They were like, Ali Horn doesn't know what she likes. Come on, people. Give a million dollars. Some people are doing it five stars. Some people are doing it one stars. Some people are doing one star the first time to see it, two stars the second time to see it. And Ali, we're talking to you here. (laughs) Exactly. But I mean, there's an element of Stranger Things to this as well, isn't there? Because Stranger Things, people love the same stuff about Stranger Things. Yes, it's this uh, supernatural horror with this great cast of kids, but a lot of the other stuff is the attention to detail of the 80s. So the people who are not familiar with that love it for one reason, but the people who are old enough to remember it love it for a different reason. So it's it's working on multiple levels. Oh, for sure. And I, I actually, you can't fact check this because I really am making this up, but what I always thought about season one of Stranger Things is that I think it's an homage to, pe- to Stephen King fans. Because if oh. you look at even the way that font is, that font Stephen King used so many times. Yeah. And like, I bet if I had the time, which I don't because I have twins, but like, <laughs> if you go back and watch that first season, there's a, I, I'm just positive. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google that because that's my theory. I've just figured out the easier way to win the million dollars is twins. Hey, did you like this film? Yeah. All right. You're probably going to like that film. <laughs> Give me the money. Don't show your kids Stranger Things or Napoleon Dynamite just yet. I'm sure they're not old enough. And like Napoleon no. Dynamite, need, you need to be at least 12. In fact, I have a 12-year-old. I might show it to him soon, actually, because he already hears the quotes all the time. Like, uh, like well, He usually comes in and asks me questions like, hey, Dad, what are you doing? I go, I'm chatting to babes online all day. <laughs> he just looks at me and goes, you're so weird. So at least he'll have context for him eventually. But that isn't just as weird. That's a point. Like every character in that film is so odd and you can't spend too much time with any of them. But you could almost make a film on any of the characters. The guy yes. who runs the dojo, the, you know, Kip and his 
crazy relationship, like of, with the online woman. Like it's just. It's or the guy who runs the chicken farm, like with no teeth, and he eats like eggs and drinks raw. Like over there, that pink man, I found a couple of shops on the Arrowhead. Th- there's so many characters. Neil, you've got to watch this. I yeah, you have convinced me, but I wonder what I will rate it, Dave. That is the key question. We that should have a contest question. guessing what. Neil is going to rate it as. That's a good idea, Ali. Um, I think we should have a bet because I control the outcome of that. <laughs> I'm going to bet a million dollars. No, yes. I I think Neil is go- is not going to like it. I'm going to go with, he's going to give it two stars. He'd appreciate, because he knows it's a cult classic, he'll appreciate it's kind of cult classic niche, but I, I don't think he's going to like it. Are we talking about five stars? Like how many stars are, is he allowed to give it? Yeah, let, let, let's go zero, like one one to five. As a basic rule, I Ali, I tend to hate everything that Dave likes. <laughs> I, I mean, as as a rule for nearly everything in life. Um, so frankly, it's it's a surprise that you've been such a nice person on this on this podcast because <laughs> his taste up to now has been frankly awful. So yeah, we don't know. I, I I'll watch it and I will report back. This is where this algorithm breaks down. So now you might not be able to judge your life by what Dave does and does not like. That might, this might work for you. Maybe we need a new algorithm, Neil. Maybe we could pay people a million dollars to come up with a better algorithm for us. (laughs) Let let me just set up the company. Ali from Ali Horn Casting, AHC Casting in Hollywood. Thank you so much for this. It's amazing to get an insight into uh, the movie that effectively broke Netflix's most important algorithm. Thank you so much. This was fun. Okay, welcome back to part three of Why Would You Tell Me That? The importance of Netflix algorithm and how it was broken by Napoleon Dynamite. Neil Delamere, having spoken to Ali, do you think this is something you're genuinely going to go and watch now on the back of this episode? I absolutely am. And I'll tell you why, because any film that has as many quotes as you've quoted in the last 40 minutes or 30 (laughs) minutes, I'm going to go watch. Because it reminded me of Whitnale and I. You know, people who love that film quoted all the time absolutely so you've sold it to me but also because i want to see how your mind works because we've done a lot of these episodes now and i feel like i need to manipulate you more and for (laughs) that to happen i need to see the inner workings of dave's mind to be honest with you at the moment it's just a monkey cycling around like homer simpson in (laughs) very posh sneakers playing a guitar and every so often just just drifting a BMW across a Mandela track. That's what it is at the moment. These are all the things Neil thinks about me, which are so much. I'm so cultured. Let me give you one more quote from it, okay? Okay. Napoleon's uncle is showing him and his brother a video of Napoleon's uncle throwing American footballs past a camera because, in his quote, he could have gone state. He could have played state. This was his okay. big thing. His regret yeah. as an adult was he never played, played state. And <laughs> Napoleon says... This is the worst video ever made. And his brother Kip turns to him and goes, Napoleon, like anyone can even know that. <laughs> and and I'll eat her. my wife will make some claim or in an argument and I'll just look at her and go, 
like anyone can even know that, Tracy, and she absolutely <laughs> hates me for it. <laughs> yeah, I could see how that would be unbelievably infuriating <laughs> in, a, in a fight. Uh, okay, if you ever do that to me, it's the end of this relationship, <laughs> this podcast relationship. Well, actually, you'll, you'll bring me some fact in the next episode, and you'll go, what do you think of that, Dave? And I'll go, like anyone could even know that, Neil. <laughs> I'll have lined up some eminent scientist who has actually proved what he has claimed and you'll hit him with that. And yeah. then we, nobody from the British Medical Journal will ever take our phone call again. We'll have to just ask random people shouting stuff in the street for their scientific credentials. Is that, is that how you get your guests? That's how I get all my guests. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I hang around the major educational and academic institutions in Ireland and abroad and see if I can find the weirdest looking fucker with the longest scarf. Oh, that's a scarf that's about 25 feet long. I'm sure he's stable. That'll be fine. Oh, you want to tell me about the time you met a mermaid? Come on board, my podcast special. Well, look, I think what I've hopefully proved to you and to everybody is that movies like Napoleon Dynamite are important. They're important because they do things like break algorithms of big tech and they make them think about things and improve things. And let's face it, some people kind of reject this thing. They get freaked out when you know, they their tire bursts and they talk to their friend in the pub about their burst tire. They go home and turn on Facebook and they get served tire ads. I'm the opposite. I think it, the algorithms have gotten better. They're more specific. And I like that. I don't, I'm not too concerned about my privacy is irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. I don't do anything that exciting that like I care which tech company knows what kind what brand of cola I like or whatever. I'm just like, fine, serve me the things I want. And Napoleon Dynamite, by breaking Netflix's algorithm back in 2009, it's gotten us better algorithms for things like Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and all those things. And I like that. Does it make you wonder how our podcast is served by the algorithm? Oh, do you think there's people at home going? You liked other big cat mauling stories. <laughs> you liked other ch- child actresses mauled by jungle cats. Mm, you like this podcast. You like seafood chowder laced with angel dust. Then you'll definitely like this product from Amazon. Okay, I better come up with something brilliant for next week. Then. Yeah, okay, thankfully we're not in charge of any algorithms because they would not be good pieces of tech, even with Neil's computer science degree. But yes, that is Why Would You Tell Me That? You can follow us on Instagram. We are at Why Would You Tell Me That? Neil is at Neil Delamere Comedy. I'm at Dave Today FM. You can suggest any topics to us you think we should cover. And of course, uh, wherever you're listening to this, if you could follow and subscribe or whatever the language is, the button, the plus button, the add button, the thumbs up button, whatever it is, hit all that and you'll be the first to know about the next amazing episode that Neil Delamere will bring us next time. Neil, what are you going to tell us about? I am going to talk to an expert on the elements and he's going to explain to us why there's a radioactive beach not a million miles from where we are right now. (laughs) Right. I can't wait for that. It sounds utterly terrifying and quite (laughs) Simpsons-esque. You've gone out to turn off all the lights in your house to see if you can spot a glimpse of something (laughs) glowing in in the distance. But all will be revealed next week. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.